0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. It's a special Sunday. It's a special Sunday because, one, I'm just so happy to be here. That's important. Two, because I've been up at the mills a lot lately. In fact, I heard that from some of you. Of Man, we haven't seen you down here at, in Oakmont in a while. I've been up at the mills. I just said, it's, I just do what I'm told. That's where they tell me to go. That's where I go. But I miss you all. I'm so glad that I get to be here with you this morning. I love our church. And a church isn't just a building, you know. It's not a logo. It's, it's a people. And so I just love you guys. It's just awesome to be with you this morning with my family. I see you as family. And if you're here and you're a visitor, I hope that you are feeling part of the family this morning. You were probably greeted by a really awesome person at the door who genuinely loves you, and we love you. We're glad that you're here. It's a special Sunday because it is the final part in our series, Whatever You Do. Nay, it is the final part of the final series in our yearly theme of All In. And, of course, uh, this concept of being all in for God doesn't just stop at the end of a year because the theme stops. This is really the goal of the human life, is to be all in for God, to be all in for God is to live life and life to the full. I have found it to be true in my life. Have you found it to be true for your life? It's an open invitation that God extends to all people, regardless of what your past looks like, what your weekend looked like, that you can go all in for him, and he will welcome you in with arms stretched wide. I don't know what kind of experiences you've had growing up in church or with other Christians or with God, but I believe God wants to change people's lives and he loves all people, all kinds of people, maybe even people who the world would turn their back on. This God wants to extend an invitation to that person and wants to do some pretty amazing things with those people's lives. I've seen it. And so we are in this series of whatever you do, part five, the final part, and it's based on this text in first. Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. This is a good, like, life verse that if you need to, you know, tattoo it on your arm if you believe in that kind of thing. Uh, or if you want to, you know, post it on the tops of your doors in your house so you just never forget it. This is one of the, those good scripture verses to do that. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It covers just about everything. Because it's, you know, whatever you do all things, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, I've preached a couple of messages in this series, and I've said this already a couple of times, but I'll say it again because I think it's really helpful. This is not a totalitarian God who wants to see you suppressed and see you live a miserable life. I think that some of us sometimes project that kind of a mentality and this feeling when we think of God, because of our experiences growing up maybe in church or with Christians like I had mentioned, but really when God calls us to live our lives all to his glory, that's really like God commanding people to live life in life to the full. Live your best life. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for the pennies when you've got bills and bills and bills. Not Not literally, because I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel to you. I'm not telling you if you put your faith in Christ, you're going to start winning the lotto. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you put your faith and trust in God, you get to experience life, life to the full. And so when we have a text, a scripture, a word from God that says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's like, wow, God, you are so good that you care enough that you want me to live life in every area of life to its max potential. God cares about what you do. He cares about every area of your life because whatever you do, that's all things that we do. Do it all to the glory of God. And so God cares about what you do. And we as Westerners, as Americans, what do we do a lot of? Let me ask you that. What are some things that come to your mind when you think, wow, we collectively, as American people, we do a lot of this? I'll tell you what. It's work. We work. We do a lot of work. In fact, we do, on average, as people, 90,000 hours of work. Some of you might be a little depressed right now, I promise you. When you leave this place, it's my hope that the the truth of God's word will fill your lungs, will, will send you out of this place encouraged and inspired and motivated, because there is a good message this morning that comes from God. But we do a lot of work. 90,000 hours of work to be exact, uh, well, not to be super exact, that's an average. On average, the American worker does about 90,000 hours of work, which is about 10.5 years of work. And that's a conservative estimate. Some estimates have it as 13 years and about two months, not including overtime. And if you are one who clocks in a lot of overtime, that might add one or two years on top of that. So we're looking at potentially 15, hour, 15 years and two months worth of work that we do over the course of a life. It's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. And everyone works. It's not just uh, nine to five. By definition, work is this. Work, an activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. And so it could probably be argued that just about everything we do is work. But I kind of want to hone in this morning on the concept of work in the workplace, the nine-to-five. And if you're here and maybe you're retired or you don't have a typical nine-to-five, the principles of this message will still apply. And I wanted to ask an an interesting question, one that I think is kind of fun, and that is, what was, I want to boil it down to the one person who started with the lowest wage, uh, when your first job, what was the, the lowest wage in the room, your first wage. And I'm not talking about like what your uncle hired you to do, you know, throwing concrete the one day, you know, like under the table, legal on the books, like minimum wage, etc. I want to get to who earned the lowest amount because it's just fun. It's just fun. I was thinking about this. this has nothing to do with the message. It's just fun. So I'll start the bidding, just so people feel involved, at $8 an hour. All right, keep your hand raised here. If you were making for your first job at least $8 an hour, don't be cranky over here, people. I want to see hands. $8 an hour, you're making at least that. Raise your hand. Okay. Were you guys all not working? I don't know. All right, so you're just not going to participate until we get down lower. Okay, I'll start at my starting wage at the age of 13, where I had a guidance counselor sign the papers, and I worked at Spirit Chrysler Dodge, in Swedesboro, New Jersey, for $5.15 an hour. That was my starting minimum wage. Let's start going down to $4.75? Okay, let's go. Where are we going? What are we talking about? Like five cents here? All right, let's just throw it out there. Let's start at $1.50. Oh, some of you are still All right, if you're at $1.50, can you raise your hand and just hold it up for a second? Okay, what about a dollar an hour? We have someone, okay, we have a couple people who started their first wage at a dollar an hour. What about, oh my goodness, 75 cents an hour. 75 cents an hour. 85 cents an hour. Do we have someone who's lower than 85 cents an hour? Okay, what about 60 cents an hour? 40 cents an hour. 50 cents an hour. Is there someone lower than 50 cents an hour on the books Ma'am, how much were you making an hour? Yes. Okay. What? 50 cents an hour? A dollar 50. Okay, so 50, did anyone start their wages at 50 cents an hour? Anyone lower than 50 cents an hour? Oh, can we give it up for the 50 cent an hour people? (laughs) Whew. That'll get you some stuff. See, that was as fun as I thought it would be. 50 cents an hour. Thank you for, uh, you know, working so hard over the course of our years. You know, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. I would encourage you to write this verse down because this is where we're honing in this morning. And I believe that if you spend time on this text this week, devotionally, you're just kind of meditating on this verse, you will find for all kinds of areas and avenues of your life, this is both a challenge an encouragement, Uh, it's inspiring to me, and it's somewhere that we're going to be focusing this morning. In this concept of work and how we can glorify God. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I find that people get discouraged in their work and in their workplaces I have conversations time and time again with people who just dread waking up and going into their workplaces. And maybe you find yourself in that camp here this morning. That it's just a labor. You find it as meaningless. You find it without purpose. You have no joy when you go to your workplace. It is my hope here this morning that you would leave here regardless of whether you love your work, you love your job, or if you find yourself in a difficult season where you typically love your job, but it's just one of those tough times, or if you just, you just find yourself in a difficult place right now and you are just having to do what you're doing, it's at a necessity. It's my prayer this morning that you would be able to look at your work with a different set of lenses this morning when you leave this place as an opportunity To glorify God in your work. What a great honor it is that we have this opportunity in our work to glorify God. Those people who, who often find themselves discouraged in their work might push back when I say, your work is an opportunity. And they would say, no, no, no. I get what you're saying, but I don't see how my work, trust me, you don't know what I do. It is completely meaningless to the grand scheme. If God's doing something awesome, if God's doing something miraculous, if God is building his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, then my work plays no part in that. God doesn't care about my work. God cares more about the work of, you know, noble careers, like teachers and nurses and doctors and firefighters and policemen Personnel. This is who God cares about. These are the ones who are making a significant impact in this world. If you find yourself here in this camp of discouragement, I have good news for you this morning. Your work is an opportunity. Your work is an opportunity before God. And the nature of opportunities are that they can either be leveraged opportunities or they can be squandered. Opportunities can be leveraged or they can be squandered. And this morning, we're going to be looking from this text, this concept of sowing and reaping, and how sowing plays into this idea of leveraging an opportunity before God. Now, there might be another pushback if you find yourself here this morning and you're discouraged in your work that says, Okay, I bite. If my work is an opportunity, I will tell you that it is so small it is insignificant. It is such a small opportunity, if this is an opportunity whatsoever, to be leveraged. It is so small, it is actually inconsequential to what God wants to do. Because it has got to be the smallest of small, small opportunities. Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30, Jesus speaks of the nature of small, seemingly small opportunities. And when these opportunities are placed in our laps as people of followers of Jesus. Now, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, this is a good moment to look into what God wants to do with the human life, what God wants to do with a person's life. If they find themselves in a grand opportunity to glorify him, live life, life to the full, pointing people toward life and light, or a small seemingly quote. You got to see, if you're listening on podcasts, you can't see my air quotes right now. Small opportunities. What is it that Jesus, God, the creator of the universe, fully God, fully man, Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, is teaching about the nature of small opportunities and those who find themselves with those opportunities. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, Jesus is telling this parable, this story of a master who has these servants, and he entrusts bags of gold to these servants. To the one servant, he gives five bags of gold. To another, he gives two bags of gold. And to the third, he gives one bag of gold. He goes and he leaves town. The servant with the five bags of gold and the servant with the two bags of gold immediately go and put the money to work. Go invest and seize and leverage the opportunity and double the money that was entrusted to them, the bags of gold that were entrusted to them. The one with five bags of gold multiplied it to ten. The one with two multiplied it to four. Now, the one with one was nervous. Such a small opportunity, such a severe master. Instead of doing anything and risking moving on this small opportunity— he would go and dig a hole in the ground because I think you and I both might do something like this. Actually, this is kind of bizarre to me. Get a bag of gold. What i am going to do? I'm going to bury it in the ground. Number one. Not funny? Okay, I'll keep going. I won't do that for the second service. Dig a hole in the ground, put it in, cover it up, and then go to the master. Now, the one with five bags who has doubled, two doubled, go to the master and says, hey, I have doubled your money, master. You have entrusted me with this resource, this opportunity, and I have leveraged it, and I have doubled what you have given me. And of course, the master responds, you have been faithful with few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. He says that to the person who doubled the five bags and also to the person with two bags who doubled that as well. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now to the one who'd squandered the opportunity, the master responded very harshly. What are you doing? You are wicked. You are evil. Get out of my sight. You should read Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30, not to scare you, not to discourage you, but to encourage you. Because every opportunity, whether it's, quote, air quote, small or big, is an opportunity before God to be leveraged. Now, as a preacher and communicator, depending on who you talk to, I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher. It's very important when you are crafting a message from God to God's people and listening to the Spirit that you make sure that you make the points on the screen something short, pithy. Easy to remember. That's effective communication. Here's what I came up with for this concept. If you find yourself discouraged because of your small opportunity, um, I think it's quite poetic. Easy to remember. The small thing may be your biggest thing, but if your small thing isn't your biggest thing, your biggest thing will come as a result of your faithfulness in the small thing. Right? Some of you are like, okay, what time is it? It is 9.38. Small, big, big, small. The small thing in your life, and this is an important quote around the small thing, because often what seems small to us is actually big and very important before God. So the small thing may be your biggest thing. And our opportunity with that small thing is to leverage it to the glory of God and to come before God and yearn to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And in the world's eyes, if it is just a small thing, if we are just caring for people unbeknownst to the masses, if we're doing that behind the scenes thing, sometimes that small thing may be your biggest thing. And don't you deny the fact that it is big in the kingdom of God. What the world sees as small, God takes it and uses it and sees it as big in the kingdom of God. I find this is very beautiful about God and how he he operates the world. The small thing may be your biggest thing, but if the small thing is not your biggest thing, your biggest thing will come as a result of your faithfulness in the small thing. So when you are in a season where it seems that you are under, beneath your potential, you find yourself in an aggravating season in your workplace that your potential, your ability, your capability is being under-realized, undervalued. Be faithful in glorifying God in that small thing and God will increase your impact as you are faithful in the small thing. Your work is an opportunity, big or small work, in the world's eyes, important or unimportant in the world's eyes. Your work is an opportunity to glorify God. And this is a loaded statement because this is good news. When our work is an opportunity to glorify God, I believe that when we are glorifying God, and I do mean we, meaning every person, whether there's a relationship with God or not a relationship with God. All people, when we glorify God, we get to enjoy God and experience life and life to the full, the life that we were designed to live, the kind of life that can exist even in the midst of difficulty, the kind of life that exists even in the midst of turmoil, the kind of life that can exist even in the midst of fear, The kind of life that can exist even in the midst of uncertainty, this is a kind of life that can be experienced and enjoyed even in the midst of the difficulties that will come in life. This is one of the beautiful pictures of this relationship of God is that through the highs and through the lows, we can still experience a kind of life that cannot be taken. And that will come as a result of spending our lives glorifying God. And so our work is an opportunity to glorify God. And how we sow makes all the difference. And I like this word, sow and reap, because we don't use it a lot. And so it's kind of like easy to remember. But this concept of sowing, as we read about in Galatians, and we'll return to in just a moment. How we view our work, how we sow, makes all the difference. The difference, meaning how we plant, how we exist in our workplaces, how we move in our workplaces, how we work in our workplaces, how we relate to other people in our workplaces, makes all the difference in our ability to glorify God in our workplaces. And so, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, honing in, says this do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now this is actually great news this morning because this is a promise. If it seems confusing at the beginning, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. It's meaning God has set a particular order In the universe. In that when we are sowing in the right way, we will experience life. And if we sow in the wrong way, we will experience a kind of deterioration or deteriorating destruction in our lives. And you can't do the thing of being selfish and and sowing improperly and expect to experience the kind of life that God has designed for you. God cannot be deceived. He cannot be mocked in that way. He has said it so that we experience life when we sow in the right manner. And so there's sowing incorrectly or planting incorrectly, existing in our workplaces incorrectly, acting in our workplaces incorrectly, and there is sowing correctly, existing in our workplaces correctly, glorifying God in our workplaces correctly, acting in our workplaces correctly, and the difference between the sewing is what I think is helpful. The difference between sloppy sewing and sacred sewing. Nice two categories that we can work with here when we're in our workplaces. In fact, I've already found it to be helpful in my own life. Am I sl- sewing sloppily? Also when you go home, like try to say that 10 times fast and see how you do. God will give you extra points in heaven if you can say it fast 10 times without, you know, twisting the tongue. Y'all awake this morning? What time we got here? 9.45? You guys doing well? Just want to make sure. I love y'all. I just want to make sure you know that. I love you. You love me? Just want to make sure. There's sloppy sewing, and then there's sacred sewing. The differences are huge. Is our work, the quality of our work, the excellence of our work, our reactions, our support of other people, our language that we use, our helpfulness to others, our morals and rightness, righteousness or rightness in our workplaces coming as a result of what we want and how we would react on our own? Or are those things coming based on a result of what we believe God wants to see and what God would want for our lives and how God would act? That's the difference. When we act in our workplaces, when we we come to other people, when we exist in our workplaces, as seeing it as an opportunity to work with excellence to the glory of God, when no one is watching, when it is undeserved, when someone does something that's nasty to us in our workplaces, not that maybe any of you can relate to that, right? If you've ever been wronged in your workplace and your knee-jerk reaction is to sow, Seeds of just getting back at them, of taking the next punch and making sure that it blows them to the floor so they can't punch again. Are we sowing sacredly to the glory of God or are we sowing sloppily to our own sinful nature? Sloppy sowing versus sacred sowing. Sl- When we are sowing sloppily, we will find our lives are deteriorating and will deteriorate. When we're selfish, when we're taking advantage of others, when we're cutting corners or burning bridges or, or getting back, it is there that we will experience a kind of destruction of our own lives. And maybe you have found that to be true in your own life. There's like this momentary kind of relief when we do the selfish thing, when we sew sloppily. It feels good for a moment, doesn't it? Like, I'm just being honest. It really does. It feels good for a moment. It's like, I got them back. And you have this moment of (sighs) a little bit of a relief. But then there's like this nagging. It's like an unresolved, almost like a festering wound in our lives when we sow sloppily, and it just—it seems to always like kind of nag at you. You feel that way. You feel yourself not at peace because of the way that you have responded and where it is leading you. You haven't responded in the correct manner. You—you you sewed sloppily. You're into sloppy sewing, and you find yourself coming home after your days just kind of in a funk, or you find yourself and in your workplace being sapped of your joy, you find yourself in that position when you do that knee-jerk reaction thing, when you do that selfish thing, whereas God has paved the way for us to utilize our workplace, to take advantage, to leverage our workplace as an opportunity to glorify him. And we have to pause for a moment in these instances where things get difficult in our workplaces. And when we want to do the selfish thing, when the whole industry is doing this unjust thing, God has called us to glorify him in our workplaces and to sacredly sow. Meaning in my workplace, I am going to plant godliness. I'm going to be a beacon of light in the darkness. When people are cutting corners or doing that unjust thing, when there's a spirit of of dangerous competitiveness, I am going to be the one who is helpful. I'm going to be the one who, in the midst of all the chaos, I'm going to be the beacon of peace. When people get on that gossip train, I'm going to make sure I'm the last one on that train, if ever at all. I want to make sure that I bring joy into a workplace that is toxic and that is actually difficult. When the industry does this time and time again to make sure that the bottom line is continually higher, that it is more and more profitable when we do this thing that is eh, questionable, God has called us in those situations as workers not to participate because that's sloppy sewing. And it will only reap bad things for our lives. Instead, God has called us to sow sacredly, to use our platform of work as an opportunity to glorify him. And there is a promise that is made in this text. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. It's a promise and God sticks to his promises. I believe that you will experience eternal life not only at the end of your life, but I believe you will experience a kind of life even in the midst of all the difficulty. Even as you are that outlier, you are that different one who's going to do that sacred sowing in the midst of all the sloppy sowing that's happening around you, I believe God is going to bless your life. Now, in the world's eyes... Sloppy sewing is often rewarded. And this is the difficulty for the Christian life. It's a short-sighted, temporary thing to sew sloppily. And there is a real pull, a real magnetization towards sewing sloppily because the world will often reward sloppy sewing. If you cut corners, if you do that unjust thing, if you do that immoral thing, if you do that thing that just cuts the feet out, the legs out of the competition, then you will rise quickly. And so when we actually go against the grain, as God has called us as leaders in this world that is in decay and in destruction, God has called his followers to be leaders in paving the way to godliness and goodness and justice, glorifying him in our workplaces. Now, when we sow sacredly, this is just a warning, you will find yourself in some difficulty. You will find yourself becoming within the target. You know why? It's because when you act in godliness, it makes people feel uncomfortable. It shine, you shine as a mirror to other people and they feel bad about themselves. It's not that you aim to do this. It's just when you are living as God has called you to live, you serve in as, a, as an example And people oftentimes will stack themselves up against each other and compare themselves, right? And to compare themselves against the example, it might make them feel uncomfortable. And so you might become a target. And if you're a target long enough, and some of you might be here this morning where you have been a target in your workplace because you have been doing this and it's just growing weary on you. You find yourself being kind of chipped away and you're like, you know, I'm I'm just about over this. This text speaks... To you in particular. In Galatians 6 verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do not give up. There's a promise here for you. You stay on the straight and narrow. You stay on that way that God has called you to. If you are that weird person in your workplace who will not compromise, good for you. Before the eyes of your business, you might be the crazy person. You might be the target. But before the eyes of the creator of the universe, he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. I love how God understands what we are going through as people inspired the text of the scripture to say, let us not become weary in doing good. Why do you think that that admonition is in the text? It's because we as people get weary in doing good. It is wearisome. It is tiring. It is, it gets annoying. It gets difficult. It's inconvenient to do good. It just is, especially when everyone else is doing the other thing. But God gives us this encouragement. Do not get weary in doing good. Your time is coming. If not on this earth, then the one to come. I believe life is to be experienced on a personal level here on this earth when we give our glory to God in our workplaces. But even if we don't, this is some Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of steely resolved in the fiery furnace. Even if you don't, I'm still not gonna bow down. I'm still not gonna sloppily sow. I'm still gonna give glory to God in my workplace. I'm still gonna sow sacredly. I'm still gonna see my work as an opportunity to glorify God. I'm still gonna be a beacon of light. I'm still gonna stand for justice. I'm still gonna stand for righteousness. I'm still gonna stand for goodness. I'm still gonna stand for joy. I'm still gonna stand for hope. I'm still gonna stand for peace. You know, you have been called to be a worker of the Lord. Amen? It's all right to clap. Come on, people. Time to wake up. We have examples within the scripture of people who have gone, giants of the faith who have gone before us, who serve as great examples for our lives. And they're more relatable than just fixed figures in a fictitious world. That's not what the scriptures are. There are some parables. There are some stories of fictitious people that are used as fictitious people. But then there are narratives within the Old Testament that are real people who lived and breathed in this world, just like you and me, and had their feet planted on this ground. One of them is Joseph. Joseph lived a crazy life. And in fact, I put it up on the screen here, Genesis 37 through 50. That's a large chunk of text within the scriptures in the book of Genesis, real easy to find right in the beginning. I would encourage you to read the account of Joseph's life in chapters 37 through 50. And be encouraged as a result because it's just so down to earth. There's some fantastical supernatural elements involved, but you have this picture of Joseph. I'm going to give you like the five second version, if that's okay. Of Joseph's life. Joseph had this amazing gift of God to interpret dreams and God was giving him dreams and he shared those dreams with his. I'm going to really move fast here, so stick with me. He had this gift of, of interpreting dreams and being given dreams, so he shared his dreams with his brothers, which actually, if you read it, you're like, whoa, Joseph, okay. But he did, he gave those dreams to his brothers, and his brothers and, and father got really mad at him, and the brothers were already mad at Joseph because he was his father's favorite uh, son out of all of these sons, and so his brothers planned to kill him, but they actually had, like, maybe a stroke of moral consciousness and decided, hey, let's not kill him. Let's actually just, you know, throw him into a cistern and save him. Uh, sell him to slavery. So that was a good move. So they sold him into slavery where he was taken by this guy who was really in charge in in Egypt. And so Joseph was serving in Potiphar's house, this Egyptian kind of ruler, and God was with Joseph. And Joseph prospered in all that he did in working in this house that he was kind of sold into slavery to work. And he did so well under God's hand that he kept being promoted to places of authority and he kept glorifying God in his work. That's the takeaway as we keep moving here. And he became so desirable and had so much influence that Potiphar's wife started looking at Joseph and she wanted to have relations with him. And he decided that he was not going to do that because it would not be glorifying to God or to his master. And so he did the right thing. He sowed sacredly. And I'll tell you where that got him. She ended up lying about him, saying that he came on to her and she ran away and ripped away. And so Potiphar was real mad at Joseph and threw him into prison. But guess what? God was still with Joseph. You would think that after glorifying God for this long, Joseph might have given away given up on God, because here he's thrown into a cistern, almost killed by his brothers. He's, you know, sold into slavery. He gets thrown into prison now, but God is still with Joseph, and he is still glorifying God. He is still sowing sacredly, so much so that the prison warden, Loves Joseph. Puts him in charge of everything. And Joseph is doing so well. And there was this cupbearer. And there was this baker who were the king's people who were thrown into prison. And they were having these dreams that they couldn't understand. And they brought it before Joseph. If you remember, Joseph had the capability, God-given capability, to interpret these dreams. And so he gave really good news to the cupbearer. Really bad news to the baker. And both came true. Really bad news. And both came true. And the cupbearer was brought back into the king's presence and was brought back into authority. And you would think that maybe the cupbearer would remember Joseph when he was brought back to his place of prominence, but he didn't. And so Joseph had to stay in prison for another two years. You would think at this point, maybe Joseph would be sick of, of glorifying God and sowing sacredly. Maybe he would start cutting some corners. He would just give up on it. But he didn't. He kept glorifying God, sowing sacredly. And there came a moment two years later where Pharaoh had this dream of he couldn't interpret it. And so the cupbearer then, oh, I remember two years ago, and Joseph was brought into the picture glorifying God. He was given this ability to interpret the dreams and he interpreted this Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh was amazed, he, he brought him to this place of highest authority in the land of Egypt and he, Joseph, was able to restore all of these relationships that were broken when he had a chance to, to go back and to get back and take revenge on his brothers, his siblings, his family. Instead, he extended a hand of mercy and grace and peace. You still see, even in the midst of his life in difficulty, he always sowed sacredly. He always glorified God. From the prison to the palace, Joseph always glorified God and saw his position as an opportunity to be leveraged for the glory of God. Now, quick side note, not to take away from a moment. That prison to the palace is what Pastor Donnie is preaching today. He's focusing on Joseph at the mills. So I'd encourage you this week to listen to the podcast, because I believe that that message is going to change your life. It's really encouraging. It just looks at Joseph, like puts this magnifying glass. While I gave him like maybe a minute, he's going to spend the entire sermon on Joseph, which is just awesome. So spend some time looking at and listening to that podcast. I believe it will glorify your life. I want to invite the worship team to come back up here this morning. When we look at Joseph, we see an example of how God will not give up on you, that the promise is true in this text. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This Joseph, he reaped a harvest. He did not give up doing what God had called him to do. He continued to sow sacredly, glorifying God in his work, and God had brought him to this moment of big authority because why? He was faithful in that small thing, and God increased it to that big thing because he was faithful in that small. So let us, and this is the takeaway here this morning, as simple as it is, let us glorify God in our work. Glorify God in your work. I find that even if we can get to the point on Monday or Tuesday where we actually have the simple thought, how can I glorify God in my work today? If we can get ourselves to asking that seemingly simple question, it is there of just asking the right question that I believe the power of the Spirit wants to come into our lives to be able to operate differently in our workplaces. To be able to have a renewed sense of opportunity in our workplace, regardless of how you've seen it in the past. You are not working just for people. You are working for the glory of God. So do not underestimate the value of your opportunity at work. God wants to use you as a beacon of light and life in your work, regardless of how seemingly small it is or how big it is. God has given you this command. Whatever you do, in all things, do it all for the glory of God. What an honor that we have. Let us leverage this opportunity that we have. Some 13 years and two months, or 10.5 years, if you're a hard, crazy worker, maybe it's 15 or 16 years that you're spending working, this is an opportunity to show people the glory and goodness of God. Let us rise to that occasion. Amen? And so let's take a moment this morning. We're going to sing a song here, and I would encourage you to maybe stay in your seats as the ushers come through and distribute the elements. This opportunity that we have to glorify God in our work, to enjoy God and to experience life in our work, Because of what God has done is something that we need to remember. The linchpin in this entire thing, this good news of regardless of what we find ourselves doing in our work, where we are, we have this opportunity to to partner with and be used by God. That comes available because of something very specific that God did for us. And that's something that we need to remember here this morning in just a moment through communion. Communion. And so let us hold on to this communion. I'll come back up and I'll lead us through remembering why it is that we have this awesome purpose and ability to glorify God. It's because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. So I wanna invite the ushers to distribute these elements and let's take a moment of just considering this God who died for us and opened this door where we can experience our work in a different light here this morning. Amen, amen. Amen.